If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the podcast. Today, I am incredibly honored to be joined by marriage and family therapist, Vienna Farron. You probably know her on Instagram as MindfulMFT. And today we are talking all about origin wounds, your origin story, your family system, and how that affects the adult relationships that you have, how it really impacts everything. And she has a book out today called The Origins of You, which I was incredibly lucky to receive an advanced copy and have already read it and plan on reading it again. It was so healing for me to read, not going through any kind of a breakup. So you guys know I always talk about how breakups are such a great opportunity to really take a deeper look at ourselves. And this is a great way is to trace back what wound are we holding on to? How is that wound that maybe I'm honestly like probably not fully aware of? I learned that in the book where most of us, even if we know what we grew up with, most of us have not taken the time to really sit with it and heal what we needed to heal. So she talks about the five main origin wounds that we have. We talk about why it's so important to allow ourselves to sit with those wounds that we probably have been rationalizing around and invalidating for a really long time. We get into the five different origin wounds and how they impact our relationships. But again, I highly, highly, highly recommend this book. So I hope you get as much out of this interview as I got from being able to speak with her. And I hope you guys all go grab a copy of The Origins of You. Welcome, Vienna, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is such an honor to have you on and chat about your new book. Thanks, Kendra. It's such a pleasure to be here. Excited to be in conversation. I would love to start off when I'm talking to therapists. I always love to hear how you ended up at, because I feel like when you're talking to clients and then this like one thing probably starts really sticking out and you're like, okay, I need to explore this more. Could you talk more about how you got so interested in the idea of the origin story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I always say with therapists, like we get into this work because we're on some path and mission to, you know, resolving 
you know, our own stuff. Sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, in the beginning of the book, I share a bit about, you know, the origins of my safety wound. And so, you know, to no surprise, so I'm a marriage and family therapist. I work with individuals, couples, and families within the context of really understanding the family systems we grew up in. Yeah, like the origin stories of the first time something really significant happens in our lives that essentially shapes the, you know, the framework, the foundation of, you know, the rest of our lives and oftentimes the patterns that we find ourselves in, in our adult relationships. And so for me, my parents separated when I was in first grade. They went through a nine-year divorce process. I am an only child. I Neither one of my parents got remarried. I share those details because I was just this like little human who was watching a lot of conflict and chaos and abuse and you know paranoia and manipulation and gaslighting, like just kind of watching all of this, observing it, absorbing it, experiencing it just sort of on my own, right? Like didn't have siblings to talk about it with. I didn't have, you know, any step parents who might say like, I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. And so, you know, I was a part of this family system that I always describe it as like, felt like they were crashing and burning around me. And one of the ways that I learned to survive that was by pretending like I was okay and I was unaffected and I got really good at all the things that I put my mind to. And you know, I didn't feel, I always say this was certainly my perception. I don't necessarily even believe today that it's true, but that there wasn't room for me to not be okay because neither of them were okay. And so as a little human, I was like, well, there's not enough room for me to also not be okay. So I better be fine. I better be okay. And I better figure a lot of this out on my own. And so I did. And I went into psychology in undergrad and then, you know, decided to become a marriage and family therapist because from an unevolved place was like, I never want to be in something like that. And since our families are often the first education for, you know, all of this stuff, I knew that I needed a different education around this. But it was then, you know, it's like I always get such a chuckle about this because even in my first year of grad school, I was so committed to the story that my parents divorced this nine-year divorce process that was so horrible to be around had not affected me. And I can laugh about it now, but I like was like holding on to this story in the biggest of ways. First year in graduate school for marriage and family therapy. My professors must have been getting such a chuckle out of it. Like (laughs) she's still clinging to that story, isn't she? And I was like, no, they're like, they're good friends now, which was true. We would have holidays together, which was also true. You know, it's like all of this stuff that you know, I was holding on to so that I didn't ever have to let myself feel, right? Because if I said that I wasn't okay, or if I had said that I was actually affected by what had gone on, then I was going to need to feel. And that felt really overwhelming to me at the time. And so I've had many aha moments and profound moments, you know, throughout my adult life that have brought me back into this work. But I remember this one specific moment, I think now coming back to what your question was, where I started to really see that tie between what was playing out in my adult relationship at the time and this, like if I followed the thread, was bringing me right back into my childhood. I was dating someone and his 
ex came back into the picture and he was in this like deep contemplation about whether or not he wanted to stay in the relationship with me or go back to this other relationship. And I, (laughs) in my therapist way was like, I totally understand and I get it and take the time that you need. And like, you know, now I hear and I'm like, oi, but at that moment, right. I was like, yeah, like no pressure. You know, I, I get that this is such a hard thing for you. I was very understanding, very empathetic. And then I was talking to a friend at one point and it clicked in and I said, holy, like this is such an extension of this role that I had taken on as a kid, right? Where I was pretending like I was fine with what was happening and I wasn't. I was pretending like I was unaffected and I was. I was hiding, you know, all of my feelings because in the original moments I was so afraid that if I wasn't okay then it would mean that the relationship would end anyway. And so I was just pretending like I was this chill, cool girl as I talk about in the book, right, the cool girl persona. And it hit me And I realized like, wow, I've been playing this role of the unaffected, I'm fine individual for such a long time. And it keeps me in this irresolution, right? My boundaries were being crossed because of me, right? I was allowing that. I was pretending I was never expressed emotionally and I was denying myself you know, feeling and sharing the experiences that I was going through. And you know, it it clicked in. And I remember calling the person I was dating at the time and my, you know, like heart was beating out of my chest, you know, could barely say the things. And I just finally was able to say, I'm not fine with this. I feel really affected by what's going on. This feels disrespectful. And it was, and, you know, I'm going to remove myself from the situation here. And Obviously, there were more words to that, but that was the end. And, you know, we never spoke after that. And even though I had been a therapist at that point for a bit of time, I remember it just clicking in like, oh my gosh, like the patterns in our adult relationships, the patterns, the unwanted patterns, right? The like these loops that we are in, they're all pointing to unresolved things from our past. And, you know, as I got further and further into the work, you know, it's like, and listen, this is probably not a hugely surprising aha for people, right? That like, oh, your past is connected to your present, right? Like this is not new, but I remember just feeling so deeply connected to, we must explore our family of origins, right? Our our family systems, these relationships, because so much happens in those spaces and so much of it stays unresolved. And then we find ourselves in patterns or conflict things that we're fighting about the same thing and like we can't change it. And where is this coming from? What is this pointing to? And so... Yeah, that began my deep curiosity or my continued deep curiosity of, you know, understanding our family of origin and, you know, really understanding our origin wounds, as I put it in the book, that, you know, come with us and follow us until we, you know, spend the time to witness the pain and and grieve alongside of it and then create some changes in our life so we're not replaying it all out. It's so interesting when you were talking, I was thinking, because when I was reading your book, I was like, I identified so much with you. I had a very similar role of like, I'm going to be 
small and my whole thing is like super big fear of being a burden. So I'm going to remain small. I'm going to be the person that requires very little. But it's so interesting because it came from like a completely different family dynamic. My parents have been married for like 50 years, very healthy relationship, but they both traveled, worked so busy, like work was just a big priority in their lives. So for me, it was like, okay, they're always so busy. So I'm going to do it anyway. So it's so interesting. And like, you talked about this. And I think it's so important of like, this idea of like wound comparison, and like, someone might look at both of our situations. And it's like, okay, well, Vienna has a right, because she went through like a really chaotic, traumatic kind of thing. But, you know, Kenner's parents just worked for a living. But it's like we have the same feelings, you know? Yeah, I know. So many people get tripped up in wound comparison. It's like you hear somebody else's story and you believe that their story is far worse than yours and you don't really have a right to be in the emotion. Oftentimes people will say like, I don't want to complain, right? It's like there's so much worse out there than what I went through. And that is one of the quickest ways to remain or be distracted from your healing, right? It's like certainly there are endless stories out there. And yeah, if we put them all on a spectrum of, you know, not so bad to really awful, terrible, like, sure, people are going to be on, be in different places, but that takes us away from what it is every single one of us needs to do in our own personal individual lane of healing. Right. And so we, we have to drop that. We have to get rid of the minimizing, the distorting, the rationalizing, the intellectualizing of the stories and allow ourselves to actually feel, but it's hard, you know, I mean, as I said, I was sharing that intro story, right? It's like, I was so afraid to let myself actually feel what being affected was, right? I wanted to pretend like I was okay because it was scary for me to be like, well, what does it mean if I wasn't? You know, what does it mean if I'm if I'm not? You know, and I didn't know how to be in the vulnerability of all that. My whole facade would have been shattered in a moment, you know, and that was really scary to have pretended to to have been this, you know, unaffected, totally fine, quote unquote cool girl, needless woman. And then to like feel like a 180 was going to happen. I wasn't, it needed to be something that was gradual and I needed to to slow down and to do that in an environment that was safe for me to do that. And, you know, so for those of you listening, right, it's like, maybe you're like, I'm fine telling my story and I know it's got a lot of stuff in it. And there might be others who are like totally resonating. I also pretend like I'm fine and I find a way to, you know, rationalize what happened or, you know, one of my favorite ones is like, well, I wouldn't be who I am today without it, (laughs) you know, and it's like, correct, right? And that doesn't change our need to still process what's there, right? To still feel what's there and to address it, especially if it's, you know, dictating certain things in your life today. So yeah, challenging. It's hard. It's really hard. It is hard. And one thing I wrote down when you were talking in the beginning is this idea of like, knowledge versus like feeling and healings. It feels like we're like getting ahead of it where it's like, oh yeah, I went, you know, my parents went through a nine-year divorce. I'm aware of that. Like, oh, if I have the knowledge of it, then I can navigate around it. But it's like you said, it's such a facade and it reminds my listeners know this, but I've been recovery from alcoholism and 
there was this idea of like, well, if you know you have a drinking problem, you just don't drink. So it's like, it's this idea of, okay, I have this knowledge of it, but that's not what works. If that was the case, then we would have so few people struggling with addiction. It's like, you can't just knowing you have the issue doesn't work. You have to go through these layers of what's sparking this addiction. You have to learn how to feel your feelings again, because otherwise you're just always going to turn to that kind of numbing thing. So I think sometimes it's like, well, if if we know it, then that's good enough. But it's so much more than that. It's allowing you to what would happen if I allowed myself to feel what that means. Yeah. I love how you put it, the feeling and the healing. It's like, that to me is the wisdom, right? That's that's the earned wisdom. And I think, right, the difference between, you know, knowledge and wisdom, right, requires us to to feel and to, you know, open ourselves up to that and to gain, right, the wisdom, right, that comes through that healing process. And yeah, you described it so beautifully, right? It's like, we can know the facts, the details about a story, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I lead the reader through is the origin healing practice, right? Where for me, and this was so, it's like at a certain point, right? It's like, okay, I know, I know what my story is. I know the facts and I call them out in the book, right? The like the factual storyteller who like the person who comes into therapy, who's like, okay, here's all this stuff that happened. And you're like, wait, where are your emotions? <laughs> you know, like where's That's my right? therapy sessions all the time. My therapist uh-huh. always makes me stop. She's like, let's yeah. stop. <laughs> Totally. Right. And it's so easy, right? Because think about how many times so many of us have retold our story. So we go in and we're like, okay, my parents got divorced when I was in first grade. They went through a really long divorce process. Here are all the things that happened. And it's like, ah, where are you in that? You know, to really slow down. And so where obviously identification is one of the most important steps, right? To even identify and acknowledge that there's something that's there. But for me, I think that this was probably exacerbated because I was an only child. I didn't, my story did not feel very witnessed. And for me, there was two parents who were in their overwhelm, in their pain, in their struggle, in their suffering. I did not feel seen and understood and witnessed. And one of the things that I had to do as part of my healing was to witness my pain, you know, to really be in it, to like, to close my eyes and I lead people, I lead the reader through it, but, you know, to close my eyes and bring myself back into a time where I felt very alone or scared or upset. And to just witness the little me who was experiencing that. And I'll say this now, right? Like, you know, sometimes this is really important work to do with someone, you know, with a professional, someone who can guide you through this and just throwing you into the deep end. But, you know, for me, it was like, oh, the need to be witnessed was so huge as a part of my healing. There was so much grief there once I allowed myself to see and really like connect to and feel what I had been through. And, you know, even when people don't have many memories of the past of their childhood, right? Like, you know, our systems do a beautiful job of protecting us from what we need protection from. And so sometimes people are like, I have no memories, right? For my childhood. And like, that's okay, right? Your system is really doing what it's designed to do, but we can work our way back, you know, and 
whatever memory you do have, even if it's from like five years ago, or we, you know, it's like we start working with that and witnessing the pain and beginning to work through the grieving of, you know, the loss that, that we experience there, the loss of the people, the loss of the self in many ways. So it's a real deep feeling process of moving through this so that we can get to, you know, the wisdom as you were, you know, painting that picture before. Because knowledge just isn't enough. It isn't enough to, you know, move us through those patterns that we keep needing, you know, yeah. and always oh, it's like, pattern isn't there to be annoying, you know, to be like, it's not there, like it's not out yeah. to get you. Right. It's like, it's there just like, hello, you know, like nudge, nudge. I'm like, I want to be healed. Right. I want to be seen. I want to be felt. I wrote down a quote because it was so powerful. It's what you just hinted at, but your quote is your life isn't out to get you. It's out to be healed. Your wounds don't want to harm you. They're tugging at you because you deserve relief. Like, who I get like the chills reading that. It's such a powerful quote. Absolutely. Right. It's like, it's, they're not out to get you. They're out to be relieved. And that's our work, right. Is to find the way to offer the self, the relief that it didn't get before. Right. And so when we avoid and listen, I was the poster child for it, right. Like ignoring it, pretending, hiding, faking, right. All of the things like it doesn't get relieved it tugs and it shows up and it keeps pulling at you. And that's why you date the same types of people over and over Mm. again. It's why the same conflict you have with your mother, you know, keeps showing up, even though you promise this holiday, you're not going to get into it or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, those are the things that we have to pay close attention to because it's telling you, it's pointing you to something from the past that's unresolved. I mean, I think a lot of what you're talking about comes down to like this idea of like invalidating ourselves. And we talk so much about gaslighting in relationships Mm -hmm. now, but like I think about that sometimes it's like the amount of gaslighting we do to ourselves is so wild of like this thing will come up. And I mean, you talk about this too. It's like I've had this in therapy so often where I will say something about my parents and then immediately feel so guilty and immediately go into, they were really good. Like they were such good parents. They did this, they did this. And it's like, it's so hard to just allow ourselves to say like, I was really scared. I was really lonely. And you know, you're not saying I had horrible parents and maybe you did, but like it's, we do so much invalidating of ourselves. And it sounds like so much of this is just allowing ourselves to be like, I was scared and I'm and I still get scared or maybe the example that kept coming up for me especially with my listeners is this idea of like toxic relationships and I get this all the time why do I keep going back into toxic relationships or why do I keep going back to the same person when I can so clearly see that they're hurting me or that they're toxic to me it's this it's you know it's what's it's this yeah. yeah it's this it's not because it's fun it's not because it's what you want it's not yeah. right like obviously every kind of conscious part of you is like i would like to choose something different than that you're not looking for pain you're not looking to be in dynamics like this but it pulls you back into the irresolution because think about it like what's the thing that plays out in that quote unquote toxic relationship right terrible boundaries an insecurity about the self, right? Like not feeling worthy or deserving of something, you know, like not belonging in a healthy place, 
you know, not feeling prioritized by a partner, like on and on and on, right? And just touching on some of the wounds that I talk about in the book, right? And it's like, yeah, we keep finding ourselves in those relationships because it keeps pointing you to needing to resolve a prioritization wound or needing to resolve a worthiness wound or needing to resolve a safety or a trust or a belonging wound, right? These are the five wounds that I go over in the book. And, you know, it's a touchy one, right? Because people are like, you know, to strike that balance of not blaming someone, right? Because it's so easy to be like, ah, these jerks over here, you know, like I keep finding myself. And where is that line, right? Of like, yeah, I keep being drawn into, maybe this reframe is helpful. Like I keep being drawn into what needs to be resolved, right? As opposed to being drawn into like the toxic quote unquote, dynamic person, right? Where it's like, they're the representation of something, right? And it can feel frustrating, right? When we're like, I am a smart person, you know, it's like you you sit here and like, why do I keep doing this? I know the difference. And it's like, yeah, well, but emotionally, right? Like we're not talking about a conscious picker, right? Like you're not just like, okay, here's what's healthy for me. Here's what I'm going to choose, right? It's like the unresolved emotional pieces are what's choosing in that space. And again, you know, if we just keep blaming, you know, the toxic dynamics and, you know, the people that we keep choosing, right? We're missing the opportunity to see like, okay, what is the arrow pointing at, right? Like, what is it that needs to be resolved? And we have to be so, so gentle with ourselves in this space, right? Because it's not like, it's not to blame anybody, but it is to look at what do I have to heal for myself so that I don't need to find myself in this dynamic anymore, right? What do I need to pull up for myself? Oh, my worth is different than what a parent, used to tell me it was. Oh, I can still be a priority in somebody's life, even though I had two parents who worked constantly or were away a lot and chose something else. Right. And did you resonate with the prioritization wound or what the was prioritization, your prioritization? Yes. And the worthiness. I was going to yeah. ask, like, is it normal to like kind of cr- like have absolutely multiple, I guess. Yeah. I guess that would make sense. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I when I was writing the book, there was a point, I say this in the worthiness chapter where I'm like, I am pretty sure every single one of us has a worthiness wound, you know, like to some degree in certain moments, I think that's the most common one, but yeah, I have a worthiness origin wound and a safety origin wound. And I think a trust one can poke in there from time to time, but more with self-trust. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Yeah, I think the worthiness one was first, and I was like, this is it. And then I got to the prioritization when I was like, I think this, this is, is the main one. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh, Yeah. So it was so helpful to be able, you know, in like the stories that you say too, where it's like, it's so helpful to be able to identify in those stories. And it sounds like your listeners know a little bit about your story. Yeah. And so even when you said like, oh, if I share something about how I'm feeling, period, right? Without then needing to go into the space of like backpedaling and being like, they were great, right? It's like to even step into being able to prioritize your own experience of something, right? Without then going into a place of deprioritizing it, right? So the like, I feel this way, but now I'm going to deprioritize it and make sure everybody else is feeling okay and taken care of, right? It's like, that becomes the work is that I have this prioritization wound, simply put, right? I didn't feel like a priority growing up period, right? Not because my parents were really taking care of us and making sure that we had good lives and yada, 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 right? That's the rationalizing of it, right? It's just, I didn't feel like a priority growing up. And what does it look like to step into relationships, right? As an adult where you are a priority and you, you know, boundaries with maybe feeling deprioritized through relationship, but also how do you deprioritize your own self when you've been conditioned with the wound to feel like you are not important enough, right? Yeah. I mean, I had this incredible therapist and my listeners know this too, but I had like a really traumatic incident when I was 16 and I didn't tell my mom about it till I was 27. And my therapist had my mom come into my therapy session and she's like, you read what you wrote. I will take care of your mom's feelings. Like you're just there to state what happened And it was so powerful and just to like know. And it's so interesting because my mom handled it so well. And I have this thing of like, oh, if I tell people how I really feel, especially I resonated a lot with the conflict chapter that you talked about. I just had so few experiences of 
conflict going well. And I always got so scared of it. So I would just never engage in it. And the littlest thing felt like conflict of like disagreeing with with something. But just having those examples of like, it's okay, like it will work out to tell someone something bad that happened to you or to share your feelings. And I think like the more even the smallest things like I had someone tell me if someone compliments you, just say thank you and then shut mm-hmm. up. Don't say, oh, this isn't mine or whatever we do to like justify it. Just those little things of like setting boundaries in our communication of like, thank you and then stopping or this hurts and then stopping or no and then stopping. It's so hard. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. What a, I feel like that story feels so similar to the one where I told the, my partner at the time that I was not okay. And I was exiting right where it's like, you know, you're reading your, your letter and paper shaking. Right. And it, but it's this like profound moment in your life where you're like, it is okay for me to prioritize this moment. And I don't need to take care of everybody else's emotional experience in this moment. It sounds like your therapist did such a beautiful job in that session. And also sounds like mom, you know, actually showed up really well in that and was able to receive it. But it's like, you go back to 16 year old you and it's like, okay, the unresolved part is like, I'm not a priority probably, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how to take up space as you were saying before. I don't want to be a burden. Here's this big thing that's happened to me. And if I share this with you, there's probably a fear of what is going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, right. It's like, wow, look at when you open up the vocal cords in a safe way, right? Like how it begins to resolve that you are allowed to prioritize how you feel and what needs to be spoken. Yeah. Beautiful. It was definitely a very, a very powerful experience and, and so much of the underlying thing too. And I wrote down another, like this idea that you talked about of like trading authenticity for attachment. And I think we do that so much. That's a big theme that comes out of, you know, I'm always talking to people on the other side of their relationships of like, they traded so much of their own authenticity to be in this relationship. And then they get out of the relationship and they, it's like, not only did they lose a relationship, but they're also left with like, who am I, you know, and I think it can just make and then you, we start doing that so early on. And then I think that's why so many of us, especially when you get out of a breakup or get out of a relationship, it's like, who am I? And it's very, it can be very scary. So I think like getting back in touch with that by going back into our childhood, it can be so powerful. Yeah, that piece on trading authenticity for attachment, you might be familiar with Dr. Gabor Mate work. And so he talks about how, you know, like children have these two fundamental needs, right? Attachment, right? And authenticity. But he says that when attachment, like if a child needs to choose one, right? They're going to choose attachment over authenticity every time because it's quite literally our lifeline. Yeah. It's survival at that point. Yeah. And so, you know, when we don't grow up in family systems where there is you know, truly space to like be who you are. Like you don't need to be anything other than who you are and you still have your lifeline to attachment, right? All your physical, emotional, spiritual, et cetera, needs, right? Unfortunately, that's not most of us. Maybe the tides are changing a little bit now, you know, a bit more conscious parenting, but yeah, like think that the majority of people did grow 
up, having to trade authenticity for being liked, loved, connected to, getting patient. You know, it's like, that's what we do. I have to be perfect. I have to perform. I have to please. If I get straight A's, if I score the hat trick, if I'm a little bit quieter, if I am funnier, if I, you know, it's like the options are endless, right? And sometimes it's like, if I score the hat trick, then my parent is more connected to me. Beautiful. Okay, fine. Sometimes it's if I'm funnier or if I'm more problematic, then dad stops hurting my sister. You know, it's like there's such a range, right? Of like how we mold and shift and disconnect from self in order to make the system try to function a bit better. Yeah. Right? And then when we get older too, I always talk about like, you know, people feel more valuable when they're in relationships mm -hmm. as they get like romantic relationships as yeah. they get older. So it's like if we prioritize being mm -hmm. in a relationship, it's like we can ignore so many things if that's mm -hmm. our main goal. That's right. Right. It's like I'll trade anything just to say that I'm coupled up. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's again to the whole point of this book and understanding the origins of us. If I learn to trade something in order to have an attempt at connection, love, presence, et cetera, right? Like in what ways do I continue to do that as an adult? And what are the things that I'm having to resolve and unpack and heal in order to actually exist in the world authentically, to actually exist in relationships authentically and to drop, you know, to put down the pattern? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I encourage everyone to to get your book, but we kind of breezed over the five kinds yeah. of wounds. Could we kind of go through them and maybe point out like how each of those would manifest themselves in a relationship? Because a lot of people are coming out of, you know, everyone's listening who's coming out of relationships just so people can maybe identify a little bit more with what they might have. Yeah, sure. So the five origin wounds, let me say this first, actually, is these are not boxes. I just want to be so clear. This is really, it's not black and white. To our point before, actually, Kendra, it was great what you said. Like you might have the same like experience, for example, maybe a parent abandoned early on in life, but how that gets internalized, right, can be really different for people. So for example, an early abandonment can be internalized as a worthiness wound, meaning like you left because I wasn't good enough for you to stick around for. It might manifest and, and be internalized as a trust wound. You left and now I can't trust anybody who's ever close to me to actually stick around, right? So that I just want to give that That's say so cool. there aren't boxes. You can use whatever language actually works for you. When I sat down to write the book, these were the five that were like, Ooh, I think that these are good umbrellas. This felt good, you know, but you might feel like there's something else that just resonates more deeply for you. So beautiful. And then a reminder that how your story was experienced can show up differently for you than it might for your neighbor who maybe has a similar story. So yeah, so the five are worthiness, the worthiness wound, the belonging wound, the prioritization wound, safety wound, and the trust wound. So worthiness, as we said before, is like, I think maybe all of us have a bit of this. And, you know, the way that we're left with it, right, is like, am I worthy? Am I deserving? Am I good enough for something? And a lot of it in, in this space is oftentimes the 
Like, who do I need to become in order to please, in order to feel good enough in this relationship? So there is a lot of that trading of authenticity in this space, right? Because it's like, I want to to speak to romantic relationships, right? Who do I need to be to feel like I'm deserving and worthy of keeping you or of being in relationship with you. And so a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of insecurity there. If I am just who I am, like you won't be here. You wouldn't choose me. If you saw the quote unquote flaws, if you saw all of this, like, I don't trust that you would, you know, you would stick around. And so, yeah, right. It's like, we can probably tie a lot of that to you might be able to see where it has its origins, right? But oftentimes, again, in our romantic relationships, right, we're like constantly in this space of, you know, not feeling deserving, not feeling worthy of something, and then trying to, you know, adapt ourselves into who we think we need to be in order to keep it. In that space, we often cross our own boundaries, right? Like, it's like, oh, I keep doing, pretending. I mean, this is, this is what I was talking about before, right? Is like pretending to be fine, pretending to be unaffected, right? Like there was a worthiness piece that was woven into that for me. I talk about this in the book, but part of where that was birthed was through conditional love for me. And so when I was a quote unquote, good girl, easygoing, like my dad would be super helpful and very connected. And when I was more difficult and challenging, I would get the silent treatment. It was like, that was the punishment. And I lost connection. I lost presence. I lost love during that time. And so that really reconfirmed, reiterated, like, be good, be fine, be easy, and then you get love. But if you have other feelings outside of that, right, like then you get punished from it. And that was really woven into that worthiness wound of like, can I just be me and know that you will still be here? So yeah, like in the reflections, right, for people coming out of relationships with worthiness, it's like, what did you trade? How did you fake? In what ways were you performing or trying to please? Who were you trying to become in order to maintain the relationship? What boundaries of yours did that cross? And yeah. And of course, for me, right, the curiosity is like, and what does that point us to from the past that needs resolution? Yeah. I talk about this a lot on here, but like I, mine was that manifested for me in being in very emotionally unavailable relationships mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the guy couldn't commit would say, Oh, I don't think I'm ready for a relationship. And I was like, okay, well I want a relationship. But then I would be like, but no, maybe that's the best I'm going to get. So okay. I should, you know, and those, I just like constantly crossed my mm-hmm. own boundaries. And I would say, I can only be with you if you commit to me in a relationship. And they're like, well, I can't. And I'm like, well, I guess okay. it's okay. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, like taking yeah. less than what you deserve, taking the crumbs, exactly. right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of just believing this is the best that you're going to get. And yeah. like I said, right, like seeing how many times boundaries are crossed or pretending like something is fine when it's not, like it'll show up in that way quite a bit. The next one is the belonging origin wound, right? Which again, really like simple, right? We don't even have to overthink what these wounds are. It's like, didn't feel a sense of belonging, didn't feel like you fit in, were a part of something. And, you know, to like become a part of something relationally, right? Again, is that adaptation, like who do I need to be? How do I need to show up in this space in order to, to like fit with you, right? And so- 
again, like this is what I meant before is like, can sometimes feel like they're cut from the same cloth at times, right? So when we're looking specifically at relationship endings, for example, you're like, ooh, like all the wounds can kind of rub up against one another. Because what we're going to see with every single one of them is probably a trade of authenticity, right? In order to feel worthy, in order to feel a sense of belonging with this person, in order to feel prioritized, which is the next one, right? Is like to feel important enough in the other person's life, right? To feel like you are a priority to them. And so whether or not they are choosing, you know, hanging out with their friends or whether they're choosing, you know, another partner, whether they're choosing work and, you know, they're constantly, you know, focused on their careers, whether they prioritize drinking over, you know, being connected in the relationship, right? Like, again, a lot of times we're on this quest to how do I become the priority in your life? So a lot of times there could be a lot of conflict in that space with the prioritization wound, right? Where there's this constant, like prioritize me or pointing out or like where the testing, the, like the testing test, the person. Absolutely. Is there a connection with anxious attachment style and the prioritization at all? That's a great question. Yes, I would say so. I'm not thinking deeply about it, but my Yes. Thanks for asking that question because I think there's so much stress that happens that a person experiences when they don't feel a sense of prioritization, right? And so exactly as you said, right, it creates that anxiety of sometimes silently living with it, but then oftentimes being very vocal about like, I want to be prioritized and complaining or, you know, pointing out all of the ways that a partner isn't prioritizing you and then getting in that conflict loop about like, you're constantly complaining. Well, you're not prioritizing me and, you know, and around and around we go. Right. I feel like this is a good moment to speak to when you talked about like the people who find themselves back in those toxic relationships over and over again. What we just said about the prioritization wound is a great example of that is that instead of resolving the wound, right? We keep trying to just get somebody to prioritize us. Got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So instead of like actually tuning into the pain around not being prioritized, we keep choosing people who are distracted by other things, trying to chase down that like the healing comes from finally getting a person to prioritize us as opposed to the healing coming from healing the prioritization origin wound. Right. So I felt like that was just such a good example of what you talked about before. Yeah. And I definitely went through that. I think like in my early twenties of like, I called it like the like conquest thing of like, uh-huh. if, if I can yes. get someone to change their mind or I can get this person, yeah. then that means. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, I won. I, I did won. it. I won. Yeah. It's like, I'm important. like a competition, yeah. like an internal competition kind totally. of a thing and like creating like these scorecards that no one else is living by except you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's where your prioritization and worthiness wound intersected. If I can get you to do this, right, then I will finally be worthy of being prioritized. This is a really sensitive one. This is a sensitive chapter. I would not have done us a service if I did not speak about abuse. But of course, abuse is 
oh, you know, there's just so many layers to it and a lot of emotion around it. And so, you know, the safety origin wound is, you know, wrapped around the different types of abuse that we have experienced that we can experience. And so, yeah, right. Like sometimes get into abusive relationships as adults too, right? So if you grew up in an abusive dynamic, it doesn't necessarily have to match, right? And oftentimes we can find ourselves in abusive relationships, even if we didn't have abuse in a family system. I think there can be a lot of comparison when you talked about wound comparison before. Mm -hmm. There's also abuse comparison, right? Like, well, it's not physical abuse or, oh, it's not sexual abuse, right? And I think, again, so important to hold and honor these experiences that are deeply, deeply, deeply intrusive and making sure that we're able to name what they are a lot of, right? So again, power dynamics, control dynamics that are playing out there, often feeling disempowered as the individual in the relationship. If you were experiencing abuse, struggling to find a way out, again, there's a lot of times where, again, that power and control is the priority in that space. And there's just such a lack of empowerment to believe that you are, again, with the worthiness piece, like deserving of something that looks very, very different than this. And also, even if we do get to the place of knowing that we don't want to be in this, it can feel very scary and like that there isn't the right support to be able to make the change yeah, and to exit in a safe way. And so kind of pulling back into where was there a lack of safety growing up? In what ways did you feel empowered or disempowered? In what ways did you have the support around you to make the big decisions in your life to, you know, step towards something that was safe for you? But when we're learned to exist in unsafe environments, you know, it, there's a familiarity there that, you know, again, doesn't always have to be apples to apples, like I said, abuse to abuse. But, you know, when you learn to live in environments that lack safety, you know, it can also feel like this is what you get. You know, this yeah. is just what you get. And this is just what it is. Yeah, this is the normal. Yeah. This is the norm. Yeah, this is the norm. Right. And then, okay, the trust origin wound. Again, no surprise, right, that the that the wound is like, I don't know how to I'm gonna speak about others first. Like, I don't know how to trust others, right? That I've experienced betrayal, I've experienced lying, I've experienced deceit, or I've observed it. So the origins, like sometimes it could be directly toward to you, or for somebody else in the beginning of the book, I talk about a client who came across an email. That was a wild story. Yeah, yeah. right. Where she found this long ongoing affair that her father was having and stumbled upon it and then had to keep that secret for, you know, for her life for decades. And so, you know, that is the imprint, right. Of like, can I trust people? I believed you and now I'm learning something different. And so a lot of times, right. We have struggles with trust and relationships, are you telling me the truth? Are you cheating on me? Is the shoe going to drop? I believe something like it's it's great, but then I know something bad is going to happen because it always does. And so, yeah, when you're, you know, with the trust piece, I think sometimes it's like when there is a rupture in the relationships. So when a rupture ends the relationship, for example, like when the breach of trust is the reason that there is an ending to a relationship, you know, is like, I imagine that's maybe many of the people who are, you know, listening, right? Where it's like, yeah, I found this thing out, or there was, 
you know, infidelity, or even if there isn't infidelity, like trust is also just around like through on your word. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of like my ex last week said they loved me and couldn't wait to spend the rest of their lives with me. And then this week they dumped me. Like that's a, you know, that's a huge rupture of trust. Right. And so when it's like the words and the actions are not matching up and, or we take the 180 and it feels so entirely confusing. I think to speak to the 180, a lot of times, right. When a person is saying, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. And and then the next week they're out. Most of the time that is way more to do with them than it is to do with you. And I don't say that lightly because most of the time I'm like, no, it's about us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But like in those circumstances, when a person does something that feels so out of the ordinary, so out of the blue, there's something that's happening unconsciously for them that's wildly confusing for their internal system. We're often left with so many question marks and we don't get those answers. And so to like put those pieces back together for ourselves without being able to put the information in a nice little pocket can be so, so hard. And so, you know, again, instead of just going forward bruised, right? Because, okay, here's this betrayal and I'm so confused and this is what people do and I can't trust anyone, right? It's like, let it point you to the origins of, you know, a trust wound, right? Like, where have you learned to struggle to trust people? Where have you had and experienced those betrayals before this moment? And use these opportunities and the endings because, listen, relationship endings are often the invitation for us to begin to explore these parts. And, you know, it's so hard. There's so much emotion around it. It can feel like we're just like in the darkness of it all and the depth of it all. And it's so hard in those moments, no matter how many breakups you've ever been through. I remember I would have had so many breakups and each one, it was like, I'm never, you know, I'm not going to get through it. And it's like, I know that I can, but when we're in it, it doesn't feel that way. And so it's in that space, if we can muster up a little bit of that energy to just begin the curiosity and the inquiry, right? Instead of trying to like fix and change what's happening right now, spend time with the origins of this pain, because like I say, it's very uncommon in our adult lives to feel something for the first time. The storyline might be very different, but the emotional experience of something, we usually have felt it before, whether it's betrayal or deceit or a lack of trust in some ways, whether it's not feeling prioritized, not feeling part of something, not feeling good enough. Like we've probably had those feelings before. And so to begin journeying back into that space is very helpful for us to, you know, heal so that we don't need to keep picking up the same pattern. Yeah. So powerful. I am so excited for people to get their hands on your book, because I think, yeah, I mentioned this before we started recording, but this is such a great opportunity of going through a breakup because like, we're very motivated by pain. I'm sure, you know, you realize that. So being able to take this time and opportunity to, to sift through, you know, identify with your, the origin story, your book is out today. So people can go order it and, and get it right away. I, 
have gone through it once and plan on, you know, really diving in with a journal and going through it again, because I I think it's just that powerful. So thank you so much for coming on. And I hope everyone heads to Amazon to grab your book. (laughs) Thank you. Amazing. So appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie, where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.